welcome to this episode of the Foodies Reviewing Movies podcast, the trailer taste test edition. I'm your host, Callie, and thank you so much for joining me. Well, today's episode, our format is going to be the trailer reaction and then the movie review for Morbius. I know some of you may be asking, why did you watch that? It looked not so great. The reviews weren't fantastic. Well, I think you'll actually be a bit surprised with what our reaction was to the trailer and then to the actual movie. So buckle in because we have an interesting ride for you. Really quick before I go into any further about the episode, I did mention that I would be talking a little bit about our website, what's going on there in the last episode. So just to let you know, we are still building our new website. So you can still follow us at FRM podcast on both Instagram and Facebook for now. And you can email us at frmfan at gmail.com. We'll have the website up here in the next couple weeks. So I'll be happy to update you on that once that is up and rolling. Well, the episode today, like I mentioned, Coley joined me for both of those. And, uh, we, we had a lot of fun talking about, about Morbius. We really did. And the first one, like I mentioned, she and I had recorded back in February. We did have to record that a bit different than normal. So the audio is going to sound a little bit different than when you actually listen to the second portion of it. So thanks for bearing with me on that. And uh, yeah, so not really too much more to say besides for I hope you enjoy. Bon appétit. Thanks for coming back again, Coley. Happy to have you. I'm happy to be here. We have a fun one to talk about. One that as soon as like I heard how excited you are to see this, I knew I had to have you do this trailer taste test with me. We're talking about Morbius. Yes. It's about a biochemist named Dr. Michael Morbius. It looks like he travels to what looks like Skull Island, possibly, to get some kind of maybe cure for these ailments that he has. And so that's pretty true to form with Marvel mm-hmm. Universe. Morbius is a frequent character. Um, shout out to any of you who love the 90s Spider-Man animated series. This Morbius is giving me very similar vibes of, you know, he's got this condition, he's working to heal himself. Mm-hmm. And it goes terribly wrong. Yeah. Um, So this is continuing, I think, Sony's version of just these anti-hero characters that we've seen in Spider-Man before. Mm -hmm. And Jared Leto, perfect. (laughs) The trailer had barely started. And I see him walk on the screen. And my initial thought was, Morbius? Question, you know, just (laughs) Morbius? I'm like, and I was not disappointed. Yeah, he does a great job. He's a bit of an eccentric kind of guy. So I think really like just him as a person, he's going to encapsulate this character very well. And yeah, this, this guy, he goes from seeming fairly frail and weak physically to now being super strong and has some pretty deadly side effects that come along with Mm -hmm. whatever has happened, because pretty much he's just like, if you're going to run, do so now. And then everyone like takes off running and this just giant swarm of bats comes out. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming vampiric bats because of what happens. Yes. (laughs) And then all of a sudden he's gone missing. He's MIA for a couple months and shows up in some kind of like shipping container off of Long Island. He ends up there and they're like, dude, what happened to you? And he's like, I don't know. 
and and that's the great thing with with, um, just the development of the characters. Definitely a strong backstory for Morbius. I'm Mm -hmm. hoping that it pans out to be so. Yes. um, Because he's definitely a well-loved character. Mm -hmm. And the the cast is fantastic. Like you mentioned, Jared Leto, he's leading uh, the charge here. We also have Matt Smith, Adria Erjana, uh, Michael Keaton, Tyrese Gibson, Jared Harris. I mean, just all of them. Like I saw Tyrese and I was like, oh, this is great because I haven't seen him for like a good minute. And he's been in a lot of different things. Like originally I knew him from Fast and Furious. Mm -hmm. He was also in the Transformers movie with uh, Josh Duhamel. So he's usually has some some good sarcasm to him. He looks like he's playing a little bit more of a more serious character in this. Yes. But I think I still think he's going to give us some humor when it comes mm-hmm. down to it because he just has great quip there. But I, I did notice some things, you know, I personally myself, I'm not super familiar with Morbius. This is very new to me. I'm coming in with very fresh eyes. That's where just judging by what I'm seeing from the trailer and what I'm picking up on, we do see a um a mural that has spider-man with the word i want to say it was murder written across Mm. it murder um we also see oscorp in the background and even morbius himself hints that he is in the same universe as venom so Mm -hmm. we'll see where that ties him into our other marvel characters but i am guessing he is in the sony universe that same one as tom hardy so i'm guessing Mm -hmm. they're they're in the same universe by judging just by trailer alone without doing any other research. Yeah. And I mean, also it just sort of has that, like you said, anti-hero sort of darker feel to it. Like Venom sort of has uh, just in my opinion. So I, I could see them definitely being in a very similar world, if not the same. So I think that's a very good possibility. Now, one thing that is also mentioned, and we were sort of thinking possibly the same world because they mentioned this is similar to the thing that happened in San Francisco. Yes. This is not spoiling anything. This has come out in interviews and stuff. But Tom Hardy was in San Francisco filming for the second Venom movie around the same time that the new Matrix movie was filming. So you may or may not see him running around in the background. Of the Matrix so. so just saying. Uh, so take a peek out for that. They don't know if that hit the, you know, cutting room floor or whatever, uh, if it made it in, but we'll find out. So I'm thinking also just because of that, they're in the same one. Yep. So, but a really interesting point that was also sort of this, this tagline, I feel like of the movie, and it's going to be, I think, a question that we constantly have in the back of our minds during all of this, where the character played by Jared Harris, who's sort of Morbius's mentor, he mm-hmm. says, are you here to heal the world? or destroy the world? Very good question. And that is always something that in my mind comes up with a character or an anti-hero like Morbius mm-hmm. of where they have those two paths. They have their, you know, different callings. And for Morbius is one where, you know, he's battling this disease. He's chosen this way to try and heal himself. Mm-hmm. And now not only is he trying to battle against what he's turned himself into, yeah. he now has to figure out, okay, if I can change what I've become, what route am I going to change towards? Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. he does have, especially with the, and this is in the trailer, that that feeding on the blood. Yeah. You know, he's got to figure out how do I navigate this? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's self-preservation. He's got to figure it out and we'll see how he handles it. Right. And, you know, 
that brings us to the great question for this episode when it comes to food. Coley, you brought this question to my attention. I was like, yes, we're going to talk about this. (laughs) We all have favorite food. But what one could you not live without? Like, if you had to go on a strict blood diet, what's the one thing that you're like, oh, God, I miss it so much? Well, as someone who is jokingly referred to as a starchitarian, <laughs> I am not losing my pasta. <laughs> yes, that's that's a very good answer. But would that take over in part of chocolate? Yes. Oh! I could do without chocolate. Give me my pasta. Okay, okay. That was not an expected answer, because I know you love chocolate. I do, but it's like, chocolate is like under peanut butter, under pasta. Yeah, chocolate's not as high up on the list as as it probably should be. Yeah, okay, okay. I I think mine would also be a starch, honestly. (laughs) Which now I had another thing come into mind. I'm like, oh, jeez. But I'm also part, like partially pasteurization intolerant, so I could not just survive on a cheese diet. I'd say potatoes. I was actually going to joke about that one, too, but I need my my starch, and yeah. so I need my pasta, but potatoes mm-hmm. are a close second. Yes, I guess, I mean, you can do them in so many different ways. What about, like, a sweet thing, if you couldn't live without oh, a sweet for thing? a sweet thing? Oh, that's where it gets difficult, because I love, love either cookies or ice cream, mm-hmm. and I think... And while I normally will pick ice cream time after time, I don't know that I could give up cookies. Oh, wow. Okay, another unexpected answer, Colleen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to go with ice cream, actually, because there's so many different variations you can have. No, and ice cream and I are just fair weather friends. I love it when it is cold outside. I Mm -hmm. know that sounds so wrong, but when it gets cold, I want ice cream. Okay, okay, okay. So pasta and cookies. Yes. And I'm potatoes and ice cream. We're two healthy gals right here. (laughs) And we're going to get stranded on the same island so we can share. That's right. I'm fine with that. And you're very resourceful. So I know, like, if anything, you'd find us fresh water. I would. You'd make a way to make it happen. i just just make it right. That's right. You'd you'd figure figure it out, Colleen. You'd figure it out. (laughs) So, well, I'm curious to see how this one does. And, um, you know, if we're going to have possibly a sequel as well. I hope this. so. I'm hoping so. Venom Morbius crossover. Oh, that'd be so fun. And then I want them to go and find, like, Tom Holland. I think that would be Yes, fun. that would be lovely. Maybe so. maybe this can be a uh, Morbius Enters the Sinister Six. We'll see about that. Oh. We're close to it. We're yes. close. Oh, one day. Boy. So, yeah, you taught me a little bit about that. I like I'm not super familiar with a lot of the comic book stuff and all of that until it became into mainstream. Yeah, I'm a mainstream or whatever. But, uh, you know, that sounds fun. I really I'm interested about about the Sinister Six. And I actually don't think I've ever seen Morbius in Sinister Six. So well, we'll see. Happen. We'll see. Maybe our comic book gurus will be able to prove me wrong. So I'll have something to read later. Maybe but. they'll like make a group of seven. Like, I don't know. I guess you could have Sinister Seven. Yeah. Sevensies. Yeah. Then then that just tells you right away one of them is going to work with Spider-Man. Yep. We're going with it. Okay. I like it. That's pick Venom. Yep. I'm fine with all of it. (laughs) All of what we want happening. I, I would like to see that come to fruition. Welcome back, Coley. Glad to have you again here in the same episode twice. 
I'm glad to be here with our wonderful updates. Yes, it is definitely an update because initially back when we uh, had recorded the trailer for this, it was it was before the movie came out. And then some things happened in my life that sort of postponed that. So I was like, well, we could do a before and after episode of watching it. So here we are. Yes. Yes. So we are going through and just going to give some quick thoughts about Morbius. <laughs> um, so really quickly before we do dive in, I just want to state this up front. Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 16%. IMDb gave it a 5.1 out of 10 and Metacritic gave it a 36%. So I don't agree with those ratings. I think this was actually much better than what everyone said it was. I'm going to agree with you there too, but I do know I am biased because I love Morbius. Not so much caring about whether or not Jared Leto's playing him, but I love (laughs) the character of Morbius. So I know that my vote is skewed, but I'm definitely like a seven out of 10 on this one. Yeah, see, I was going to give it like a C, C plus. So I mean, seven. Yeah, I mean, I I was fine with it. Honestly, I, you know, just sort of like, let's go into it because I, I had some laughs in this. I don't think this was the most spectacular ever superhero movie I've seen, but I think like just to turn your brain off, watch and have fun. I thought it did its job, you know? So the opening scene for me made me automatically reminiscent of King Kong when they're flying the plane through the Costa Rican forest and they have some kind of cargo that's sort of dragging behind the plane. And I'm like, where's King Kong? Where is he? The whole time I'm waiting, they're like, we're going to set up a trap. And I'm like, is he coming yet? You hear the monkeys in the background. I'm like, where's the big monkey? Didn't see him yet. But <laughs> that's what I thought about immediately. <laughs> so when I saw that, I'm reading the subtitles, I'm seeing... Cerro de la Muerte. I'm like, okay, we're going to Death Mountain or Death's Peak. Mm -hmm. He's got the cage. I'm like, are we already turning into the vampire now? This early? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, what? Yeah, see, I've not read any of the comics involving Morbius. I knew nothing about him previous to seeing this. So I didn't know what the heck we were doing, but I knew we had to get the bat somehow. So (laughs) I sort of concluded or went to the, uh, you know, thought of, okay, maybe he's getting them so we can have the bats to bring them back. Yeah. So, which is what he was doing. Yeah. My thing was when I first saw the preview, I didn't realize he captures the bats. I thought they just flew out of the cave. And like attacked him. So I was like, like, no, just flew out of the cave. Oh, okay. Attacked the pilots and things in the preview, but that I didn't, and like the cage was just for his protection. Ah. So when I actually watched it in the movie, I'm like, oh, duh, he's catching them, you know? <laughs> Which, how did that cage even work? Because it looked like it was this box, but it had like these plastic almost strings in them. Like, how do you think that cage actually worked? So I'm going to explain to you right now yes. that that was movie magic. Okay. And I don't think it technically would have worked I think we would need to see a 3D model and an explanation to see how that actually worked. <laughs> yes, because I'm sitting here going, they flew right through it, bro. Like that didn't catch a single bat. <laughs> right know, through. Right? <laughs> no. yeah, they so- caught them back on the way in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was it. They attacked the pilots and everything and had little snacky snacks and then went to fly back. And that's when they got trapped. I was like, and then he a- closed them in the helicopter. 
Yes. And then they rode back together. Everyone else was left behind, just corpses back on Death Mountain. And yep. I mean, I was like, did it Venus fly trap them? Like, that was my first thought. It's like, did they get up in there and they went, you know, and caught them or what? <laughs> so, yeah, I was just like, this, that was not the best cage, but. <laughs> No. whatever like you said movie magic we'll leave it up to our imagination i imagine like you know the venus fly traps from mario just sort of popped up and got him you know that's what i thought we really had what we didn't see was that dracula was standing on the cliff down below <laughs> yeah and he moved the bats into the cage for him there it is <laughs> yes and then they just gave a nice little like you know wave and like a, a bro nod kind of thing and then yep. they went about their business yep. so he's like oh yes you go ahead you take a few of them off my hands i have millions of bats go ahead and take them there were so many bats and it was sort of cool because like they came out and they flew in like a vortex and i'm like it's a bat tornado Watch out, Sharknado. We're not Sharknado, it's Batnado. It's Batnado. I'm totally fine with that. I'd like to see Batnado versus Sharknado. Like, sharks are bigger, but if there's more bats, who do you think's going to win? The bats. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. They'd eat the shark. They all would just get on their shark on their hands. It's not like you you could bat away the bats, you know? Those fins only do so much. The teeth are limited. We're now reviewing different movies. I know, right? I know, yeah. (laughs) We're foodies reviewing movies, okay? It doesn't just say we just have to do this one. Um, well, it's our foodies. We're eating the sharks. That's right. That's right. <laughs> We're talking about what's now on the bats diet, which is sharks. <laughs> Watch out, sharks. Um, so, yeah, just that was sort of interesting. Was speaking of animals, the scene with the mouse in the lab. I knew what was going to happen, but still, I got so distraught during that moment because i'm like this poor mouse all he wants to do is live and he's experimented on all day long poor mouse oh, and see i think that's where we we differentiate if i've been around <laughs> oh, no. enough biological studies to know that it happens to the mouse oh i know i just don't want to think about it like i know <laughs> i just don't want to see it on the screen for a short enough period of time that i'm like okay When's it coming back alive? Come on. Right. Yeah. Like I knew that was what's going to happen. I know that this is a real thing that happens in like everyday life. I just don't like to think about it. Like I don't like to think about when I get my chicken from the supermarket, what happened prior to it being in the supermarket. Now, what I will say is it was a good foreshadowing for events later to come, not just with Morbius. Why don't you just expand on that a little bit? Well, see, I think that it is a good foreshadowing with Martine. Because mm-hmm. he assumes the mouse dead and walks off. Mm-hmm. He does the same thing with her. Yeah. I think that that was a good, they did a really good job with this film with hinting at what was to come with their foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. They did a really good job with foreshadowing. Yes, I agree with that. I think so too. And yeah, I mean, that was sort of like where it was like, okay, immediately, as soon as you see her like bite his lip and some of the blood droplets fall into her mouth, like, you know that she has seen true blood. She's seen Dracula. She knows what happens when you have blood and then you die. You come back to life watching Buffy, same kind of thing, you know? So it's like, we all know that's part of the course. So I don't know if he watched quite as many maybe of those movies or did as much research because you saw her doing research too in yes. terms of how can they die, you know? So I'm assuming well, which- she was for that. 
which makes sense that she would do that research because in our Marvel universe, you have plenty of other vampire characters. So clearly the research and stuff is there and available. Mm -hmm. Now I do get that Morbius as a scientist is like, no, 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 I haven't seen this stuff. I'm just going to Iron Man it and pretend that doesn't exist until Captain America says, no, it does. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, I feel like he just sort of, you know, cause you see from a young age, he's like super flipping smart. He fixes a machine with like a ballpoint pen coil spring. Yes. That was so cool. I'm like, God, this kid is so smart, you know, and there's kids out there that are like that. So it just sort of is like, you. I think you can forget that if you're not surrounded by just extremely gifted children all the time, which I'm not. So I'm like, that's right. They are real. This is like something that can happen. And so that was just sort of a really nice, I feel like peek into what Michael one day was going to become but also what he was like at that moment where it was like he was already so advanced he's advanced and he's ready for those out-of-the-box solutions Mm -hmm. exactly and then also just just the sheer like he had the street smarts as well because when him and then his new milo friend um, (laughs) he's he's like you know, it's the few against the many. So make sure you're not outside when school lets out kind of thing. Yeah. And that was even a foreshadowing of when like Milo got the letter from him and it flies out the window and he goes down to get it. And then, you know, he starts getting beat up on. I did like that. He got a swipe in on that one kid though, and got him with the crutch. Oh, I know that was foreshadowing even. Yes, it was. Prone to acts of aggression. Yes, riddled with foreshadowing. I love it. And it's just like, initially, you may not have put the pieces together if you're not really like, you know, if you have officially turned your brain off, you're not really looking for it. But um, with this, yeah, I mean, like, as soon as I look back, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, straight up. Mm -hmm." Because we'll talk about the psychology of this kind of stuff in a second. But definitely psychologically, wow, there's a lot going on in this movie. So yeah, just, I think, you know, like going back to the animals in the movie, you know, the mouse, like I really, I I was, I was sad for it, but I knew what was going to happen. The bats I thought was sort of cool. I, I was sort of curious though, like once he did mix the DNA and took like that, that serum, they just sort of welcomed into that little thing, like he's one of their brethren and they're like oh come here and they just like we're hugging on him you know <laughs> well, because he he now is one of them and they don't eat themselves so yeah i just i guess maybe it has something to do with like the smell that he would give off that maybe that's why like they sort of automatically are assuming he is one of them you know also just so let's move on to like the effects here yes I thought that the effects started off really well. I thought it was cool to like see sort of this smoky kind of effect added when he's moving real fast. But then you brought up a good point prior to us recording. I felt it was overdone. And with how they did the special effects of when he's using his powers, Mm -hmm. it was struggling to see the difference between what was an effect coming to him from the surroundings. So like Mm -hmm. his echolocation versus him flying, you know, like they, the powers looked really cool in the fight scenes. They looked really cool when he was like standing somewhere using the echolocation. Mm -hmm. 
but then it just kind of got a little convoluted and twisted in some parts of you're like, okay, there's too much going on on the screen. Yes. And I, I did like the slow-mo because that sort of like really did emphasize like yes. how fast he was moving. Some movies have overused it. I felt like this was perfect because they did it like three or four times and it was usually only really in fight scenes. So I felt like it was really appropriate to be where it was. Um, yes. I think that you're absolutely right with the fact of it just, it got very confusing very quickly with the different types of powers and their effects were so similar. I wanted just that little distinguishing factor of like yes. what was going on, you know, the mm -hmm. smoke in one and maybe a reverberation a little more distinguished, even if a different color, yes. something. Yes, that would have been great if it was a different color. Because for the most part, like the smoke, was black and but it was also sometimes purple and then it was sometimes orange it's sort of like whatever he was wearing you know it was just sort of yeah. uh, camouflage to that i think if it could have maybe been like a particular color or if it was black all the time or something like that something just to sort of help like you said differentiate that or if it was like maybe for the reverberations like a brighter color that could have made that easier something something mm -hmm. so absolutely and uh just also sort of commenting on a, a scene where the effects for me i was just like okay in real life this would be super problematic um i immediately am looking at the i call it the horror hallway scene it's at horizon where the nurse yes. is going down the hallway okay i understand we want to save on the energy bill people but why do you have motion sensor lights for a hallway that looks like it's a mile long? It's so because so that the patients can sleep. Yeah, like, could you not have like the emergency like light ups or some night lights or something? Could you not like have those <laughs> every once in a while so it wouldn't disturb them? And like having the like click on and click off and click on and click off. Just just bring a flashlight. I don't know, something, but it just immediately, I was like, oh, that's going to be a horror scene. Someone's going to die because that was perfect. Like, you know, Michael Myers kind of just feel to it. It's like, oh God, someone's coming. I'm surprised she didn't go into any of the side rooms. Yeah. Which I mean, like <laughs> for her, I'm like thinking what, what currently is going on in her mind that she's like, oh, this is no big deal. It's fine. Someone's coming, but I can't see who it is. I have no idea. Like, girl, please <laughs> go into a side room, please. I know, right? Now so, she did go and hit the main light switch. So I do get that. Yes. Yes. And then it went out, but like, just Oh God. And initially I did think it was Morbius, but then we find out it's not. And. Oh, I knew from the get go, it was not as soon as Milo was in that and saw those vials. I was like, Oh, he took a vial. Mm -hmm. like, see, yeah. Yeah, I had no question at all. I'm like, Oh, it's taken a really quick effect for him. You know? yeah. See, I thought he took it home, maybe put on a few candles, ran himself a bubble bath and then maybe took the vial. <laughs> oh no, he was desperate. Yeah, he was like, give it to me now, which I mean, sort of going along with the effects, the effects of when like Leto's body is going back to his original form and like creaking back into place. I'm like, God, that is haunting. That is so eerie. It is so gross, but it was so like, I could see that being realistic. 
So all of a sudden, like thing, like he's looking as one of the detectives said, robust. He's looking fairly <laughs> robust now. <laughs> I when they said that, I know. I was like, that's a word to choose, but okay. So uh, yeah, just sort of that snapping back into place. God, it reminded me of those things that you had as a kid where you could like snap it against your wrist and then it like curled around it. Yes, the snap bracelets. Yeah, just gross thinking about it. So I knew he was going to take it, but yes. I just, I, for some reason, didn't think it was going to be that fast. So <laughs> I completely just underestimated him. What can I say? Um, but yeah, so which speaking of underestimating this character, there is, like we mentioned, quite a bit of psychology that goes into our two main characters, Michael and in quotations, Milo, just sort of some things that immediately we know up front is that they both were bullied. Mm -hmm. We know that Michael has been more successful, whereas Milo really didn't have as much independence. So those are two main factors immediately that I've seen contributing to some major issues as well, besides for the bullying. What were your first thoughts on sort of all this together, Coley? So taking into account just the differences of the characters, Milo comes from money, has a lot of money, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So he's used to that. If he needs something, it's going to get provided to him. Yes, he's having some hardships in his life. He's doing a great time living with them. Mm-hmm. But we also see that he's getting a little bit desperate and he's getting yes. a little bit vindictive about it. Of mm-hmm. That he's just, you know, he, he's tired of living that way. And that's that's not uncommon um, with people who have struggled with disability for a long time to be frustrated, to mm-hmm. be um, that not not everyone feels like they should have to come to terms with, oh, this is how my life needs to be. And he is definitely wanting something more for himself. Yes. And he's also just taking it one step further. He's also really grown attached and kind of like obsessed with Michael because Mm -hmm. Michael has saved him and is also working on a cure for him. Like he has this obsession with Michael that comes from that first encounter with each other, as well as like he leaves in the paper when he leaves. We have to assume that there was time in between that mm-hmm. initial meeting when he when Lucian first arrives and gets renamed we'll get to that in a second mm-hmm. and then gets that paper from Michael like there's been build up between them of this is his one friend yes you know? yes definitely codependent and, on each other and that's where there's that different level of codependency of that Michael seems to be doing okay without him because Mm -hmm. he has built this for himself that Milo is his living friend. Whoever is Milo is going to be there, Mm -hmm. but Milo can be temporary. He's built himself up not to get attached to that initial person. He's just attached to an idea of a Milo. Which you can see that even in the relationship with Martine, where he's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I care about you, but you need to leave now because it's dangerous. And he just sort of walks away. And so he's immediately able to emotionally detach there even a little bit too. Yep. Because he's able to care about and for somebody, but he understands that there is a limitation to how much he can be a part of that. He himself has rectified it. He wants to change it. But in his current state, he knew that wasn't possible. 
Now, whereas when we're looking at other aspects, so like the Milo and Morbius relationship there, Mm -hmm. um, like as soon as he loses that letter, he will do anything to get it back. And that's the same thing as soon as he finds out about the cure. Mm-hmm. You know, he has lived this way for so long in search and in hope of a cure. He's going to do anything to get it. Absolutely. And it's it's sad. It, it's, it's very sad because that is someone that since like a young age, there was that desperation. And mm-hmm. so desperation can really make people do some very interesting things. Um, yes. So He's also desperate to keep Michael because we see that jealousy when he's talking about Martine. Yes. This is who he has because mm-hmm. even even the doctor that's known them from little kids, the doctor calls him Milo, not his name. Mm-hmm. So like right away, we know that there is that detachment there from that doctor because there's one thing for Michael to call him Milo, but Milo is not his name. Why yeah. is the doctor, um, you know, doing it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, yeah. Cause like you, you could tell that there was like some favoritism that came into that between the two, the doctor makes the comment, like I've been taking care of you your whole life. And so it's, there's almost like this pity that's given Yeah, and I'm it's, sensing he doesn't like feeling pitied. <laughs> well, it's, I also get that Milo isn't feeling like the doctor's taking care of him because he cares about him. Mm-hmm. He's feeling like an obligation. Yes. Whereas Michael, who has built this whole other life, has still stayed in contact with him when he never really had to. And so I think that's the difference that Milo is picking up on. Whereas, like we just stated, Michael's went out and formed this whole other life for himself mm-hmm. by, you know, figuring out what he can and can't do and what his goals are yes. and how he wants to achieve them. He has figured out and made something for himself. Whereas since we don't get to see that growth in Milo, all we get to see from him is this posh, elaborate room where people are coming and doing what he needs from them. Yes. And that very well could be that he was never taught or never given the opportunity to do things for himself. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like really with kids who are sort of like trust fund kids in essence, you know, they, they, a lot of times may have everything readily available to them. So they're used to just having that. And so also there could be this frustration built up with him of, well, he's not getting that right away. He doesn't feel like he deserves to have to live this, this life with this very hard disability. And so he's angry about that. And I also think that when we're getting there and that vial is there in his mind, Michael's cured and the cost that Michael has to pay is payable in his mind. Mm-hmm. You know, he's yeah. like, okay, no, this is fine. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. And Michael's like, no, no, no. I don't want you to become a monster too. And like, you know, Milo wasn't seeing really the, the flip side of it because he didn't want to. I mean, I really wouldn't want to either. If like I was so desperate to want to do anything to not feel that pain and have that disability any longer, I may ignore the side effects that aren't so great too. 
Well, it's also, we're looking at Milo being told at such a young age that we're the few against the many or however Michael portrayed it. Mm-hmm. He's sitting here going, okay, I'm still the few. Yeah. Gimme, gimme, gimme. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough situation because I see both sides. I see why each character became the way they did. And like you said, it was foreshadowed very early on. We have two different types of individuals. I feel like Michael was much more like even keeled from the beginning. Well, it's the difference of having empathy and compassion. I feel Mm. like that was given more in Michael's character of that he can be compassionate and caring towards others. He has the ability to shut it down, but it's still there in his nature. Whereas with Milo, we never see that build. We only see the attachment towards Michael. Michael's Mm -hmm. the only thing he's attached to. Definitely. I was sad for him. And you see like toward the end there where that switch flips and all of a sudden you sort of see almost like this childlike innocence come across his face one last time. It's like, oh God, that's heartbreaking. He just, he couldn't see Michael as anything other than his family, his mentor, his buddy, that he couldn't see him as anything else. And he's like, you need to be like me. We need to be the same. And so in that moment, he realizes, I don't know you like I thought I did. Mm-hmm. Major you know, betrayal. Not just major betrayal, but it's almost like your deity has lost its face. Mm-hmm. Like It's not yeah. anything like you thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Gosh. But yeah, so just sort of moving on now to, I just, I have to make this compliment because we're talking about like, facial features and expression. And I think that both of those actors did such a great job, uh, both Jared Leto and Matt Smith, when it came down to, you know, for example, Leto is seeing himself on like playback of camera when they're on that boat. And the first time he attacks people and he looks horrified and Mm -hmm. disgusted with himself. So he did a great job betraying that just visually on his face. Yes. Um, And so I did enjoy just the expression of characters. And that's where I think I liked it so much Mm -hmm. is because you could see the characters, the actors were invested in their character and they were invested in the moment. Yes. And that for me made it an enjoyable movie because Mm -hmm. they were enjoying themselves. They were really in the moment. Yes. And like you said, like they were into their characters. I mean, Jared Leto was into his character enough where he lost quite a bit of weight again definitely a method actor. I mean, like he did, he lost it for like, you know, Dallas Buyers Club. He gained, I think like 67 pounds for like chapter 27. So he's been all over the shop when it comes to his weight loss and gain. But I was sitting there looking at him. I'm like, God, he looks frail and just fragile. And, you know, you can see his spine. And one of the um, actresses who who plays Martine, she mentions that it was sort of terrifying to watch him go through that transformation because of how just absolutely weak he looked and sickly. And that's where I struggle a little bit with the method acting when it's Mm -hmm. so extreme. I mean, I really appreciate the talents that these actors bring to the stage, 
but I'm like, oh, what are you doing to yourself? That can't be healthy. Yeah. I think at one point, I think it was Jared Leto. I could be wrong. I think he got gout at one point because of the dieting habits that he was having to try and meet one of the, the expectations for a role. And I mean, I don't think necessarily that it's all expectations put on by production. I think some of it is him because he's really into it. Like there is something you, you sent me an article last night. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead and talk about that. So I sent you an article I had found and I'll have you look up the article and quote it in a second. Like, mm-hmm. but it, I had read that he was so invested in keeping up the disability that it was taking him like 45 minutes to and from the bathroom Mm -hmm. and they were having to wait on him. So they finally compromised by, okay, you can do this, but we're going to wheelchair you to and where you need to be (laughs) instead of just letting you walk on those things across the whole set day in, day out. Yeah, because he would have done it the whole time. (laughs) He would. He was really trying to stay in character and he was really trying to, like you said, it's that method acting mentality of he's trying to keep in that mindset but I just you know it just (laughs) I'm like wow yeah there's a quote from the director here I think that what Jared thinks what Jared believes is that somehow the pain of those movements even when he was playing normal Michael Morbius he needed because he's been having this pain his whole life even though he's alive and strong it has to be a difference so it's it's all part of this guy's process and yeah i'm just like think about how much that could have held up production they probably like after the first few days were like okay man come on really this is expensive what do you well, and, and that's that's where i'm so glad they were willing to discuss compromises mm-hmm. yeah like they were trying to respect his like method but also not cost them a lot of the day and that's where i'm questioning and i know we'll get it to it in a minute but the end credits hint Mm -hmm. at additional movies hint Mm -hmm. at the sinister six but there's nothing that i saw on upcoming filmography from jared leto regarding Mm -hmm. more morbius films and it could just be that they haven't scripted anything yet but i'm sitting here going did he annoy them enough that they're not going to make another one (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah definitely i mean we can chat about that here for a second because there's like two post-credit scenes the second one was totally unnecessary Mm -hmm. i got it from the first one that that's what was going to happen Exactly. Like the second you see Adrian Toomes, I'm like vulture. Like yeah. I connected immediately. Okay, we now have two villains in the same universe that we know Venom is existing mm-hmm. because he hints at Venom. I'm like, okay, we're doing some kind of villain team up. <laughs> yeah. We're building the villains. Yeah, we didn't need the random meeting in the desert and Vulcan fly or Vulcan and Bolt and Vulture, vulture flying in saying so, um, Dr. Mike, I think we need to team up. No, like him automatically appearing in that cell and them saying he's going to more than likely be released was definitely enough to be like, oh, things are going to happen. And, and part of me wonders if um, just to get Michael Keaton on, if they had to have him in a certain number of minutes of film or if they're just wanting to, the first scene was to explain how they got there and the second scene was to display the vulture costume. Yeah, I don't know that it was necessary though. Mm-hmm. That ending kind of like, I was like, meh. Like it mm-hmm. took away from the good endings earlier on. 
Yeah. It took away from the excitement of going, hey, there's there's the multiverse tear and there's mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean really they could have honestly left out even both of those. And then it really had been a surprise, but yeah, just it was like almost like we got to beat the audience over the head with mm-hmm. what's going to happen. So I, I do feel like it was a bit of a, a disservice to us as an audience. But yeah, I don't know what the contractual obligations were with Keaton when it comes to that. I don't know if maybe they were trying to get like as much bang for their buck as possible by having him come on and be like, well, we're paying him well, for a full day. Let's get a full day. You know, not, like I said, I haven't looked it up for all we know. He was supposed to be in the movie more and just wasn't. Yeah. And they edited it out. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued to see where they go from here, but yeah, if, I mean, typically like with a lot of the Marvel movies, there's already a sequel that's like been announced within the first two months after it has been in theaters. Mm-hmm. In fact, have we even heard anything yet? I'm I'm not sure um, what the fate of this will be, but I don't know if maybe Morbius won't even be really involved with much of the Sinister Six for very long you know maybe they're still deciding on how much they actually want leto in it but i think he did better with this role than he did with joker because oh i loved him in this role he did a fantastic job bringing it on screen Mm -hmm. i think so too so uh let's go ahead and now we're, we're already giving some compliments let's go to our oscar meyer wiener award so coley who's your award going to my award is going to agent rodriguez okay for two reasons. Yes. The first reason, I greatly appreciate that he stood there and shook that cat box to make sure the cat wasn't home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, are we really doing this? Yeah. And it was like, I would have thought food maybe more, but the litter box, okay. <laughs> and my second is also for him. And actually, I remember now my second is not his award. It's the quote. So we'll get back to it. Okay. My second award is actually to the cat. Good (laughs) job, kitty kitty, for recognizing that when your owner cut her finger, that there was suddenly a bigger predator in the room and hiding off screen. Yeah. Good job, kitty kitty. (laughs) The cat did good. Yes. Very, very short amount of time that the cat was on screen, but definitely did a fantastic job. Um, my award is going to Matt Smith when he started dancing, when he was getting changed to go out to the club. Oh my, I died. I had to like, it's 30 seconds of him just shimmying and doing finger guns and just moving. And I'm like, clearly he has not gone to some kind of dance before. Cause this is awful but it's wonderful at the same time (laughs) so matt smith oh and i loved his interactions at that bar scene i was applauding him i'm like i don't care that you're the villain or whatever we want to call you you Mm -hmm. were you were you were good you did what you needed to do (laughs) absolutely yeah i like i definitely um I was a fan of Matt Smith's. I haven't seen him too much. I know he's in Doctor Who. Uh, He's in several other things, but I just really haven't seen him too much. So this was really the first movie that I sat down and and watched him full length through. Thought he did Mm -hmm. a great job. You know, I'm now intrigued to watch other things he's been in. Yeah. So, well, let's go ahead and let's go to our quote in our sweet endings. Coley, go ahead and give us that quote from Rodriguez. 
So from Rodriguez, I loved when he sits down and the other agent is joshing him about the holy water and he's like mm-hmm. triple blessed. Yeah. And I love that because it's a tie-in to that there is vampire lore already in the Marvel universe. And mm-hmm. I'm sitting here going, you had to trip there's no such thing as triple blessed. Yeah. There's no such thing as triple blessed. <laughs> Um, and that just, for me, I just laughed at that. My sister sit next to me while we're watching it going, why is that funny? I said, just never mind. Yeah. And the other thing is, and I'll have to go back and watch it. Cause I think the quote could have been slightly better, mm. but I love when Morbius goes, you won't like me when I'm hungry. And I really feel it should have been, you won't like me when I'm hangry. Yeah. Oh God. That would have been good. <laughs> It's true. They could have totally played into that. They missed such a nice little opportunity there for that. <laughs> well, and that's where I have to watch it back because I'm like, wait, did he say hungry or hangry? I hope he said hangry, but he I'm pretty hungry. sure he said hungry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, mine actually goes to Matt Smith as well, aka Milo, aka whatever his other name was, because he's called multiple names in this. Lucian, movie. Yeah. Yeah. I sort of going along with the dismissiveness toward him. <laughs> No, I know you are, but I'm giving him his name. I'm glad. I'm glad someone finally is. Um, Lucian Crown. He gets Lucian a name. Lucian Crown, yes. So his line where they're walking along the the busy sidewalk, there's hustling and bustling happening. And he goes, don't go falling in love. There's no cure for that. I'm like, dude, you're so right, man. There isn't. It's like, no matter how hard you try not to feel for someone, it's gonna happen. And so, but his, I think that was just such a loaded remark too, because besides for just that sheer fact of things, he was also jelly of Martine and the fact that she was getting some attention and he wasn't. That was my foreshadow moment of where I knew something was going to happen to her. Yes. Yeah. Because that was just like, almost like a jealous ex-girlfriend kind of comment. Like, oh, don't go falling in love. (laughs) Too obsessed, obsessed, obsessed. Yes. Yes. Like he, he loved him so much because of like everything that he was doing. He like became devoted to, to Michael. Definitely idolized Michael quite a bit. So, well, uh, right now, Morbius is available on Amazon to rent for like five bucks. There's a couple other places that it's available. So if you don't want to buy it yet, you want to rent it, check it out. I actually would recommend watching it, you know, especially if it's like a rainy day. I think this is a great movie for that. Shut the blinds, let the rain hit the window panes and maybe thunder and lightning really just amp up the mood and watch this. I think it's worth a watch at least once. Thanks so much, Coley, for joining me again for this episode. (laughs) Glad to be here. And thank you, listeners, for joining us as well. Hopefully you uh, enjoyed our take of the the movie as much as I actually just really enjoyed talking about it and watching it last night. And thanks to Kenny for our music. And if you'd like to get in touch with us on social media, here's how you can do so. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at FRM Podcast and email us at frmfan at gmail.com. our foodies we were eating the sharks that's right right. (laughs) we're talking about what's now on the bats diet which is sharks